Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to MB guy. I'm your host, Austin Krell, along with my fabulous uh, host, my, my, you know, my, my partner in crime. We have Brock Landis. Brock, how is school from home going for you, my friend? Uh, pretty disastrous. You know the drill. <laughs> uh, last episode, I explained that, and it's only gotten worse. Uh, some professors are giving up completely more than where last week and now, I mean, the assignments are basically obsolete. Uh, so I'm essentially not even doing school. I've just been binge watching Jersey Shore. Uh, I finished Breaking Bad. I'm watching Drake and Josh to pass some time and I'm still on my 2K grind. So not much has changed, but regardless, I'm glad to be in good health and, and my spirits are still high. So Austin, I know we talked before the show and you're doing well. Uh, I hope the same goes for your family. Yeah, we're all doing well over here. Um playing playing a lot of pool over in over in the Krell household. I might I might be quitting mm. uh I might be quitting journalism and uh finance after this is all over and just going pro and pool. You um, good at pool? Uh not yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm good at eight ball pool on game pigeon for the yeah, iMaster. Game but... pigeon game pigeon like actually like messed up my actual pool skill. Cause Did last, it? Week, last week last week I could I was just sniffing out the angles and I was hitting everything in real yeah. pool. And then the game pigeon angles are a little more like uh, I guess lenient and how and how and how like well you hit the ball, and I was hitting everything in game pigeon, and then I got back to actually playing pool, and I, and my angles are all off now, so okay, know, I, I kind of blame game pigeon. Um, you know, it's 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 just a, it's an, what it what it is is it's a it's a test is what it is, and it's a you know it's a challenge and it's it's just a roadblock that I have to get over to if I want to pursue the uh, the greatness of of being a professional pool player, so. We'll get through it. We'll overcome it, and uh, I'll be there someday. That's fair enough. What do you play? You play eight ball uh, stripe solids. Yeah, so uh, we play. So, so, like my dad and I will play uh, eight ball stripe solids, and, um, and like my dad's like very like weird with how he he gets with rules. So he'll like make sure that that like when, when I rack them up, they're all like every other is a different is a different pattern. And, um, you know, he like follows every rule to a T and, yep, same um, with mine. and, and, and he, he uses a bridge. I think the bridge is the biggest load of bullshit ever. I think really? it's the biggest bullshit. There's no I way. Saw... 
Go ahead. So, so what do you do? You throw your whole torso on the table and lean and, and shoot your shot, or do you I use shoot, the brain? I shoot from I shoot from behind my back. Oh, you do an acrobatic shot. See now that that don't that don't work with me. I'll pull the bridge out any day of the week. Uh, I need that, any I need any competitive edge against my dad. My dad my dad will go the whole game without using the bridge and then he'll use it on the eight ball. I'm like, the oh, fuck is yeah. this about? Um, but you know, it's it's I guess you know I, I gotta if I'm if I'm, if I'm gonna be great at this, I gotta uh, you know I gotta just let him let him cheat and, and do his thing. And, uh, you know, someday I will over, I'll, I'll be too good. Okay. But, uh, anyway, back to more important things. Um, we are going to go into the second episode of our, uh, four part series, the bracket. That's, that's right. It's a 20, 2016 mediocre, mediocre Sixers challenge. Uh, if you guys, if you guys didn't tune in last episode, the premise is that it is a March Madness style bracket. Um, we're gonna we, we started out with I think um, thirty two play, thirty two players each. Got it down to sixteen last episode, and now this episode we are going to get it down to uh, one a, a national title finalist on on Brock's side. Next episode we'll debate it out on my on my end, and then the last episode will be a debate. Where we where we peg a national champion of the media the mediocre Sixers from twenty uh, from two thousand to uh, twenty sixteen, and um, you know Brock may the best or I guess the most mediocre Sixer win right? Absolutely. So the one versus who was the sixteen seed in the previous matchup for this uh, rendition is Allen Iverson going against Aaron McKee. And I think it's very unflattering to call Allen Iverson mediocre. So I think for the sake of this conversation, we should skip that and crown Allen Iverson the winner among those two. I think we can mutually agree there that there wouldn't be a debate. Allen Iverson needs no introduction. And we can talk endlessly about all of his accolades, what he did on the court, the swagger he brought off the court, how we revolutionized basketball in a sense. And there's just so many things that Iverson did for the city of basketball in terms of Philadelphia or the city of Philadelphia in terms of basketball, rather, you can tell I'm not going to school anymore. My grammar and English is getting a little fumbled, uh, some dyslexia there. But nonetheless, I think Allen Iverson is the winner over Aaron McKeon. If I had to predict, I think he will end up the winner of this bracket. Uh, But we're going to see, and this is debate style, so uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. But if you're okay with advancing without a debate there, I'd like to pick Allen Iverson with, with no hesitation over McKee. So, um, yes, of course, I, 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 I'm going to say yes, of course, to begin with, obviously Iverson advances. I do, I do want to put in one tidbit to just sort of throw in exactly how much better he was than Aaron McKee. Um, Iverson only had one season in his entire career averaging below 14 points per game. Aaron McKee in his best season average just over 12 points per game so that's that that that's the kind of difference we're talking here a uh oh yeah MVP, of course an mvp a superstar uh who you know perhaps wishes he could take some things back in his career or done things a little differently um but just truly one of sort of the i won't say forgotten but he doesn't get the the the, the respect that he deserves i think sometimes 
That I completely agree with. I think when people look towards the early 2000s, Allen Iverson is often mentioned, but not atop some of the best players in the league. Um, for whatever reason that may be, I'm not sure, but Iverson most definitely was one of, if not the best player of the 2000s, of course. Much respect and credit to guys like Duncan, guys like Shaq, Kobe Bryant, of course, but um, as as a Philadelphia or just outside, I should say, as a resident of a town just outside of Philadelphia, growing up just with all of this hype surrounded by Philadelphia basketball, Allen Iverson was really the player that that brought that to fruition. And you talk a lot about what he did on the court, misconceptions about his shooting. He was nearly just as good of a shooter from beyond the arc as Kobe Bryant and Carmelo Anthony he had great true shooting percentages. He, he got to the line and scored there more than anybody in the league at a time when the log was crowded and, and convoluted the entire offense for Philadelphia. He was for years on end, brought them to a finals. But all of that aside, I think he changed the game of basketball in terms of swagger and persona. And I'm going to talk about that more for a later topic when we get into Matt Barnes, because there's a funny story with Iverson, but just with the hair, the accessories, the tattoo, the clothing, it was really outlawed at the time when Iverson was playing. And now every single player's favorite part of pregame rituals is showing up in an outfit and getting their pictures taken and reposting the pictures and doing crazy things with their hair and accessorizing. And I think Iverson was really one of the first to revolutionize off the court swagger in the NBA. So all credit to Iverson as a player and a man, uh, but we're going to move on because there really shouldn't be a debate there. But our next two is Christian Wood and Drew Holiday. Brock, and Austin, I'm going to start. Um, I guess I'll argue in favor of both. I'll let you argue and then I'll tell you who my winner is. Um, so for Christian Wood, this is a guy who was pegged as a late first-round pick out of UNLV. He went undrafted, signed with Philadelphia in September of 2015 after a strong summer league. He was assigned to Delaware several times in the first season before being waived January of 2016, so not too long after he signed with Philadelphia. Two days after he was waived, he was acquired by Delaware, earned a few 10 days, played with Philadelphia in 2016 for their summer league team, but he never really got any meaningful minutes on a basketball court. His stint with Philadelphia is not too notable, but this season, it was his first time logging over 20 professional games played. This was with Detroit, of course, there. He averaged over 13 points a game on 56.7% shooting from the field, almost 40% from beyond the arc. Great improvement for a guy that's six foot ten playing the center position. And he had a 65.9% true shooting percentage with a 110.8 offensive rating and only 21.4 minutes per game. So for Christian Wood, he's really played himself into a more lucrative contract, and I think his opportunity with Detroit earned him a new role. Whether that's going to be in Detroit or elsewhere, that remains to be seen, but Christian Wood, a lot of improvement. Like I said, his his stint in Philadelphia is not too notable. Didn't really play too much for the 76ers, but nonetheless, a lot of improvement. Now, for Drew Hade, I talked about his season specifically on the defensive end, but I didn't touch on his performance in Philadelphia. Now, in Philadelphia, Holiday won less than 80 total games compared to over 250 losses. But Holiday was the man responsible for rubber runs when he was 19 years old in Philadelphia. And you may ask, what is a rubber run? Well, Holiday alluded to this when he was talking to J.J. Redick on Redick's podcast. He did what Willie Green, Iggy, and Elm Brand asked of him, and part of that job was being the rubber run man. So 
the rubber run man was responsible for retrieving condoms and keeping condoms in his bag at all times. Now you're playing for an NBA team that requires a lot of condoms. And he said he had almost 150 condoms in his bag every time he traveled with the team when he went out to eat anywhere he went really. And he said it was awkward explaining that to people he knew and, and girls he met. But I thought that was funny as a 19 year old rookie, he was responsible for the rubber runs on the court. He earned his only all-star berth as a 76er when he was 22 years old, though he's probably deserving of more. His name isn't the most notable and that's why, but, but he's one of the more consistent players in the league year in and year out. He earned a shoe deal. I believe it was Adidas crazy uh, 97s. I think the shoe was, and in Philadelphia, he had a second highest total in a season for points, steals, assists, minutes. That all came in Philadelphia, not New Orleans. And he played in the playoffs in two consecutive years. In the playoffs, he shot 52% from deep in 2010 and 40% in 2011. Very productive, very consistent. And Drew Holiday, his, his, his time in Philadelphia was short. Uh, he, he didn't make it past his rookie contract, but... Nevertheless, he had a really good tenure in Philadelphia, and this was one of the first point guards I ever enjoyed watching as a 76ers fan in the city. Yeah, and I would say, I would even go on to say that, uh, you know, I guess strangely, or I guess funnily, you could say that um, the, the, the one season he was an all-star, he probably shouldn't have been an all-star. I mean, he only averaged, I think, like 17 and 8. Mm-hmm. And that, that in this day and age, wouldn't have gotten you much all-star consideration, especially if the team was seven games under 500. Um, at the time, but you know he he's been a twenty around a twenty points per game scorer for the Pelicans, um, and he's really transformed his game where he was, you know, a, a target for for some of the best guards in the league back when he was on his rookie deal at the Sixers, and when they would lose games, you would wonder why, and then you'd see the box score, and again you would you'd, you'd say, oh, it's uh, got pick and rolled with death, and the guys just you know uh, guys like Tony Parker and Chris Paul and. Um, Russell Westbrook and whatnot, you know, ate him, ate him alive like a vulture. But he, as time has gone on and he's, you know, gotten through and battled back from stress reactions in his leg, and, uh, you know, he's, he's been in the, in the tough Western Conference, he's transformed into not only a one of the most underrated offensive point guards in the NBA and one, one of the more efficient uh, such guards, but also one of the best defensive point guards in the NBA, too. He's a multi-time all defensive teamer, um, and you know, on on a on a better team, he probably is a multi-time All Star and probably talked about more than than, than he is. Um, now, now having having said that, um, Christian Wood, I think, came out at the wrong time. He, you know, was undrafted as you said in 2015 at a UNLV. I think he would have been a first round pick if he came out right now. Um, He's just, you know, a, a, the, like he's exactly what you look for in terms of the physical tools and the, the uh, sort of like the, the, the natural parts of his body, like the athleticism, the agility, the size, the vertical, um, the ability to sort of like switch guys. Um, and he also has that, that, that you know, that, in, that continuously sculpting and polished skill, but he's, he's transformed into you know, a fine three and D center. He averaged, I think almost like 17, 18 points a game for the Pelicans last year. Now he's found a home in Detroit and he's earned himself a nice contract. Um, he had a league average player efficiency rate rating is 15 was his 23.2 this year. Um, so that tells you a ton of how, of, of how 
effective he's been and how he's developed. He's playing inside. He's playing. He's playing outside in, and he's still. You know, he he he's his offensive game is is, is steadily becoming more and more efficient. He's a, a force on the defensive end of things, and he's really blossomed into, into one of the, I guess, more valuable names on the market. Uh, you know, this off season or whenever free agency for for this season is is officially underway, and. Um, I think another interesting stat about Wood that sort of portrays his value well is um, he's averaging over one win share better than Drew Holiday is this season, despite his team having eight fewer wins overall. So you could say, well, you know, it's it's it wouldn't 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 it be better if you know you're averaging more wins despite less games won. You know, I think that's an interpretable stat where you can you can point you you can manipulate it in a number of different ways. If you ask me, Drew has eight more wins on his team's record. Why doesn't he have more than more, more win shares himself? Then, um, I I I am I, I love Drew Holiday. I think he's a great guard, but I'm picking Wood. I I, I think I think Wood is um is is one of the more underrated players. Um, that sort of no one ever talked about. No one really really knew about, and he really scraped his way off the ground, started out in the G League in Delaware, and he's now going to be playing, I'm sure, for a multi-million dollar contract over multi over multiple years, um, this free agency. Right on, and Wood was averaging over 20 points a game and shooting nicely from beyond the arc post-Andre Drummond trade for Detroit, so you hope and figure Wood's going to earn himself that contract. For me, though... I have to pick Drew, and, and this isn't just bias. I say this because I think Holiday, and I said it last episode, is arguably the most underrated player in basketball. He's consistently performing at an all-star level. And Chris Paul spoke about this on the All the Smoke podcast, which aired last week, and he said, you know, there's guys like Bradley Beal and, and other names where they may be underrated to people that don't know who, and and that's how he said it, but – a guy that's that's legitimately underrated that doesn't get talked about is Drew Holiday. And Chris Paul said, every time I play Drew, I have to strap up. That's both offensively and defensively. And this coming from one of the best point guards of all time, let alone in a generation where he played Drew Holiday for years on end. I think Holiday has a lot left in the tank. And for that reason, based on his consistency, his body of work, and his tenure in Philadelphia, I'm going to take Drew Holiday to advance there. Okay, that, it's, it's your it's your part of the bracket. You you uh you, you get to choose. So now next. Ooh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, this is a good, go ahead. This is a good one. Okay, we uh, our next one is is Elton Brand and Matt Barnes, and this one's a little goofy because both had, I guess, confusing stints to stay the say the least in Philadelphia. Uh, Austin, I'm going to start with Elton Brand. Brand signed with Philadelphia in 2008. For $85 million, and they were paying for a premium here. Elton Brand was big, and he, he played physical basketball. He was a dominating force at the forward position, and defensively he played well. He was an all-star. But seven months later, he required season-ending shoulder surgery. He dislocated it. He tried to play, get integrated back into the lineup. But ultimately, the team and Brand decided that season-ending shoulder surgery was the best route to take. But later on in his career with Philadelphia, he was released Due to the amnesty clause, and for those listening who don't know what the amnesty clause is, this is the NBA clause that provided franchises 
a means of escaping a contractual obligation to a player whose performance falls short of the extremely large salary they initially agreed to pay him. Austin, you and I talked about this for several podcasts. I mean, listen, you kind of hope Al Horford gets granted the amnesty clause or or released (laughs) due to the amnesty clause because he got paid a pretty penny and he performed much below that. Um, But nevertheless, Elton Brand released due to the amnesty clause. But credit be to Brand in 2016, he was hired as a developmental consultant. Then in 2017, he progressed as the general manager of the Delaware Bluecoats. And present day 2018, he was hired as the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers, now facing a lot of scrutiny and and public criticism. The New York Knicks are apparently interested in Elton Brand, but the Sixers came out and said publicly they are very happy with the job Elton Brand has done. Now, this player was released due to the amnesty clause, and because of that, I think he takes a very serious hit. Now, I'm going to take Matt Barnes over Elton Brand, and this is personally due to bias. I said it on last week's episode, I am a huge fan of the All the Smoke podcast and what Matt Barnes does off the court. I think that podcast is the best basketball podcast out. I think he does an awesome job making players feel comfortable around him. They open up. They can talk to him. He's an advocate for players and their voices. So I think Matt Barnes' post-career has done a fantastic job with basketball off the court still, but on the court. There's stuff to talk about in a stint with Philadelphia. He played for eight teams in 12 seasons. Philadelphia was one of those teams. He played 50 games with Philadelphia, only 10.8 minutes a game. This was his third season, and it marked a career-low minutes per game. He was, I believe, a 12th man, so of course he wasn't going to yield any minutes, especially with Allen Iverson at the helm there. But Barnes said he learned a lot of valuable lessons in Philadelphia. And for these lessons, he will advance for me. Now, first... He said Allen Iverson taught him how to spend money at strip clubs. He said that was the first lesson he learned in Philadelphia was how to spend money at the gentlemen's clubs. He said Iverson was pulling out $30,000, $40,000 and spending them at the clubs. And Barnes at the time was like, look, man, I, I grinded my way up to this point. I could use that $30,000, $40,000 for, for, for way better things. But, of course, Iverson, he had a shoe deal. He was a former MVP. He went to the finals. He had the money to spend. And Barnes said that 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 was the first player that really taught Barnes how to spend money. And a lot of players spent money hard, but no one really did it better than Iverson at the clubs. And also, I said Matt Barnes was a 12th man. There's a funny story about Barnes and practicing in Philadelphia. And, and Chris Ballard wrote a feature story on Matt Barnes, which included this story. But he said he was working on a shooting. And, and Mo Cheeks at the time, who was coaching for Philadelphia, walked by and said, I don't see why you're working on your shot. You're not going to get to shoot here. And and Barnes didn't really understand that. And then later the team had a three-on-one drill practice and Barnes said he was dribbling down the court, came down the court and pulled up for a 15-foot jumper and he made the jump shot. He banked it and made the jump shot and apparently Cheeks was furious about it. And he said, that's not what you're here to do. You're not here to shoot. You're not going to get your shot here. You're here to pass the ball. And Barnes was furious. And Barnes said, Mo, Mo, you're lucky. Today's not your day. And he was trying to go after Cheeks because he was really infuriated by what he said. And Chris Weber was one of the teammates that was holding Barnes back. And Iverson had a say in that situation. But those were two very valuable lessons Barnes learned. It's, it's a star league. And 
you got to protect your money. And if you're not protecting your money, here's how you, here's how you blow it. You, you spend racks at the, at the gentleman's club. Uh, so I think for those lessons in Philadelphia that he learned and his work post-career, Barnes takes the cake there over Elton Brand for me. So it is your bracket. So, 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 so Barnes will be moving on, but I would like to say this. Elton Brand was six, eight undersized at his, at his position at a time when, you know, the low post was a heavily featured um, part of the game. And, um, you know, you, 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 you were looking to the low post all the time for, for, you know, offensive looks and, and even the mid post area as well. And it was also a lot more physical back when Elton Brand was, was playing. And um, so it's kind of remarkable that despite being six, eight and undersized and blowing out an Achilles uh, early in his career and, never really expanding out to the three-point line. Elton Brand shot over 50% from the field for his entire career. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's very impressive for somebody who sort of was zapped of his athleticism, but could only really get to the – he was only really a free-throw line level jump shooter. That just shows a, a tremendous, tremendous understanding of, of the game on the offensive side of the ball and and understanding, you know, his body and, 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 and how to manipulate his – his game and, and, and impose himself on the NBA. And um, so I think that, that that's a remarkable story of efficiency that Elton Brand, despite, you know, his all the physical limitations and maybe even under um, underdog, I guess, storylines um, to his career that, you know, he might've had um, that he was able to do that. I, I think is a pretty big accomplishment. All right. Well, he he may have he may have known how to navigate in the low post, but what remains to be seen is if he understands how to navigate through um, a, a management position. Uh, and I think a lot of people have have written the jury out on Elton Brand. I know Austin, you for one have not yet, and I'm one of those people as well. But we're going to see what happens. And with this season almost certainly getting canceled, I, I guess he's exempt for another season. But there's plenty more basketball to be played in upcoming years. So Elm Brand has an opportunity to salvage his reputation in the city of Philadelphia and make a strong case. But for me, Matt Barnes moves on. And our next duet is Pierre Jackson, or duo, I should say. Pierre Jackson, Pappy God versus Rashawn Holmes. And this was tough just because as a fan, I was pulling for Pierre Jackson to have a resurgence in the NBA, he indeed ruptured his Achilles in a summer league game, and Philadelphia drafted him with some expectations for him to play guard and facilitate the offense during the process era. And Jackson really struggled with injury, and, and Philadelphia made a really nice gesture in signing him to a partially guaranteed contract to help him rehabilitate. And he was fantastic overseas in the G League as well. At the time, it was the D League for developmental uh, he was fantastic there. I believe he was an all-star for, for several years in the D-League. And if I'm not mistaken, he won an MVP overseas. So Jackson was a fantastic basketball player, but it took him three full years to see an NBA court after he was drafted. Due to injury, it's, it's, it's just years he'll never get back. And that missed time really hindered his career. And like I said, as a sports fan, a fan of the Sixers and a fan of Jackson, you really were hoping that he can make a resurgence in the NBA. Unfortunately, it never happened. And right now I believe he's in the G league and 
He's still attempting to play basketball. He said until he can't walk, he's going to attempt to make a comeback. But it may be too late for Pappy God. But for Rashawn Holmes, there's a lot of optimism here. He was traded to Phoenix for cash considerations. Of course, one of the most irritating things as a Sixers fan was hearing about these cash considerations. But Holmes was part of a really crowded team. He was playing primarily center for a team that had no Joel Embiid. And then when Joel Embiid came back and overtook that position, Holmes was battling for minutes. And eventually the team took Amir Johnson over Rashawn Holmes, which of course I didn't agree with. I I never really liked Amir Johnson and Holmes inevitably ended up in Brett Brown's doghouse. And he was horrible. He he was, he was horrible. He was terrible in so many ways. Offensively, he was just atrocious to watch. And it's funny. I, I believe NBC Sports and they gave him eleven million. They gave him yeah. eleven million dollars. Yeah. You could have put that money into some into like another shot creator, and mm-hmm. you could have changed the, the complexion of that Boston. I mean, my God, development. You you, you give it Amir Johnson eleven million dollars. That might that might be worse than any contract that Elton Brand has ever dished out. Amir Johnson was so bad on defense from the I mean, naked eyes perspective at least that that there was times when I swear he'd be in the restricted area with his hand straight up and he'd still foul guys. I don't know how he did it, but he did that all the time. And offensively, it seemed like any shot he took within seven feet of the basket, he missed. And outside of seven feet, he was basically useless. He and having no said that, legs. he still shot threes. Yeah. He had he, no legs. And he had no leg. Although granted he did have, he did have chronic ankle injuries in his career, but he, I mean, my God, you could have, you could have been absolutely fine with having Rashawn Holmes in there, especially because when, when we came to the playoffs, MB was playing like 38 minutes a game anyway. Right. It didn't really matter who was your big. But you could have used that money to get another shot creator. But Amir was just, oh my. I mean, it, watching him try to convert a, a, a finish at the rim out of a pick and roll was like watching a whirling dervish. It, it was, <laughs> it, 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 there was so much it going on there. And there's just such a, like a struggle. And that he no one called his name this summer. No one wanted him on the roster. I don't even think Philadelphia did. I don't oh, know what God that decision no. was. I, I, <laughs> I don't know what that decision was, but it just got to a point where it was like, this is the only serviceable guy we have as a backup center, so we're going to use him. And you know, once somebody ends up in Brett Brown's doghouse, they are there forever. It happened to James Ennis. It happened to Trey Burke. It's happened to many of names. Uh, but Rashawn Holmes was one of those players that ended up in the doghouse, unfortunately. But he was a player with an endless motor. He was a nice compliment to Ben Simmons. He was good in transition. He had a ton of emphatic dunks. He was dangerous in the lob scenarios, so he was useful in a pick and roll, even though the Sixers never run the PNR. Uh, I just thought Rashawn Holmes was a good energizer, and he could fill up the stat sheet both offensively and defensively. He was a little undersized, but he could grab boards, and he could get up. So he was a nice piece to have, and he was struggling to find his footing in Phoenix. But in Sacramento this year, I talked about it last week, he's done a very nice job finally coming into his own role. He's carving out his own role, and he's playing nicely. And in Sacramento, he was extremely efficient. From the field, he shot over 55%. True shooting percentage was high. He was scoring at will. And Rashawn Holmes, like I said, is still young, so there's a lot of optimism there. He's going to advance over Pierre Jackson in this one for me. Yeah, I, you know, un, I guess it's kind of cruel, but unlike Pierre Jackson, 
Rashawn Holmes actually made it to an NBA game. And, um, you know, he was able to stick in the league despite being a, a, a second-round pick with very, very raw. Um, and, you know, Holmes is averaging 12 points, 8 rebounds, and over a block per game this season. 29, no, no, 29 minutes a game, and he's shooting 65% from the field. Um, that's that's remarkable for a guy who's you know largely a rim runner, um, and um, you know he I, I think he's the perfect energy guy and the perfect backup big for you know for, for, for any kind kind of contender. I mean, you don't need him to play extensive minutes. He knows his role. He can get you eight quick eight quick points just to just 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 going and diving to the rim. Um, and it's 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 really a very a very still good story about about Rashad Holmes, and um, you know he he I agree with you he gets the nod here. So next we have Lukamba Mute and Jeremy Grant, and unfortunately for Lukamba Mute, convincing Joel Embiid to play basketball is not enough to advance over Jeremy Grant in this situation. Lukamba Mute only played one season for Philadelphia, sixty-seven games. 9.9 points per game, but he was playing on a Philadelphia team that really lacked offense. And because of that, he was able to average around 10 points per game. But otherwise, really no contributions to the city of Philadelphia in terms of basketball. Uh, like I said, he did grant uh, the city Joel Embiid in a sense by convincing him to pursue basketball as a career. But for Jeremy Grant, he was a young blossoming talent that Philadelphia probably gave up on a little too early. But due to the circumstances, I understand it. Simmons was going through injuries. Nerlens Noel was in and out of injuries, and Jaleel Okafor couldn't stay healthy. Jeremy Grant, he played for Philadelphia when he was 20, 21, 22. So, of course, he's not really going to contribute as much as he is contributing now because he was still blossoming and finding his footing in the league. Only 8.2 points per game and a little over a block and a half a game. Of course, a couple of rebounds and assists. But... He was really a great personality to have. And and Brett Brown said that he was going to miss the man, Jeremy Grant. TJ McConnell said he was very sad when Grant was traded. Covington spoke about Jeremy Grant and said his personality was unmatched. And I think Philadelphia really gave up on him a little too early. Of course, that's what happened. And, and like I said, due to the circumstances, I, I understand it. But he's a player that's also very efficient. And now with Denver and Oklahoma City, He's just only gotten better. He, he's finding a shot. He has great spring. He can bring him off the bench. He can start. He can defend multiple positions offensively. He's got plenty of tools. He's he's almost a three level scorer, and and he's 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 big and agile, and 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 he's he's a, a little too agile for his size, I should say, and that's why he's slippery off ball and he can exploit mismatches. So, Jeremy Grant here has a little bit of a body of work in Philadelphia. And post-Philadelphia, he's been finding success. For Lukumba Mute, he just kind of floated around the league for a little while. Of course, a transcending figure in Africa, but for Mba Mute in the NBA, wasn't really anything more than a journeyman and towards the back end of his career, a veteran. Whereas I think Grant is going to have a very long and successful career as a role man, potentially a starter in the NBA. So Jeremy Grant is going to advance over Mba Mute here. Yeah, I mean... Grant has transformed into the absolutely perfect three and D, um, three and D role player in today's game. 
um, you know, he wouldn't even attempt threes in college, and he was mainly a power forward. And then here we are; he's twenty five, and he's just transformed into a into a a perimeter or not oriented, but a a very capable perimeter player for somebody who really wasn't, you know, didn't have great coordination, great touch, um, you know, outside of the outside of the five foot at a five feet from the basket, but. He's now back-to-back seasons of over 39% from deep, and um, he can switch incredibly defend three positions at least, two, three, four. Uh, he's athletic enough, and he's quick enough, and he, and he has the length where you, know, you, you can put him on a one, and you know, it, it wouldn't be a um, – maybe, maybe you have some, some, some concerns or some reservations, but you, know, you wouldn't be that shocked if he proved you wrong about it. And then um, the only reason that anyone would pick Luke or that he advanced one round is because he found Embiid. And even then, Embiid was the one who put in the work to get where he is. And, you know, Embiid was the one who decided to not give up when things were hard at Kansas. Um, So, yeah, Jeremy for me is a no-brainer. All right, awesome. So next we have KJ McDaniels going against Nerlens Noel, and KJ McDaniels pulled the upset last round, but I don't think it's going to be enough this round. And he's going against Nerlens Noel, who I I noted as a top ten favorite basketball player of mine currently. He is who I called a point guard's best friend. He's he's very good off ball. He's a tough screen setter. He can roll to the basket with ease. He catches lobs better than most all players in the league and. He's good defensively, good enough at least. KJ McDaniels, he was drafted 6'6 with a wingspan of 6'11. But because he was a slasher, he was very limited offensively. His game was very one-dimensional. That's, of course, exemplified by a 29.3% three-point percentage in Philadelphia. He scored at will in transition because of his slashing capabilities, and he could jump out the gym better than most people could except he, he, he kind of had a strange contract situation in Philadelphia. And had he not been going against somebody other than Nerlens Noel, he potentially could have advanced just because of the potential that was there in Philadelphia and, and how fans really got behind him on, on a team that was depleted. But this contract situation was, was really strange. He wasn't happy with the offer Philadelphia gave him after the draft, which would have been his rookie contract. So him and his agent structured a deal which had him signing in Philadelphia for one season and after that season he would become a restricted free agent and most rookie contracts are are three to four seasons and then after the rookie contract you can earn a new contract you could go elsewhere but for him he just wanted to make money as soon as he possibly could which of course kudos to him but it, it didn't really end up working out in Houston he was uh sitting on the bench behind James Harden on a team where he couldn't really find minutes and his game really just grew obsolete. If you can't stretch the floor at his position, you're essentially useless in today's NBA. And defensively, he was good. He could rotate well. He, he filled passing lanes well, but that just wasn't good enough to keep him on a basketball court with his, his poor shooting. Um, now, Nerlens Noel, other than everything else I mentioned, was part of a trade Again, due to circumstance, you, you kind of understand, but Philadelphia really botched this one. Brian Colangelo and, and, and his regime traded Nerlens Noel for Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and a top 18 protected pick. And that top 18 protected pick ended up being the 39th pick overall in 2017 and a second round in 2018. 
Now, the team traded Nerlens Noel because they were under the impression that they're going to have to overpay a backup center. Nerlens Noel was great for Philadelphia. Um, they, they were winning games when Noel was playing. He was the heart of their locker room. He was a vocal leader on the floor. The team liked Noel. Noel was happy in Philadelphia. He was productive in Philadelphia. And he, he was a player where offensively you know what he's going to give you. He can't really space the floor. But what he does on the floor other than his offensive contributions were good enough. Defensively rotating without the basketball, playing help defense, staying in the lane, things of that sort kept him on the floor. And Philadelphia was winning when Nerlens Noel was playing, but they traded him because they didn't want to overpay for a backup center. And at the time, they were going to pay Rashawn Holmes and, and Jaleel Okafor, who were both making more money than Nerlens Noel, I believe. And after this trade, Noel ended up signing in Dallas for one year, $4.1 million. So you really didn't have to overpay for your potential backup center in Nerlens Noel. And I, I think he's another player similar to Holmes and Grant, who's, whose time in Philadelphia got cut really short, really too soon. Uh, but again, you kind of have to look at these things with, with hindsight and, and you kind of understand why the teams made some of these deals. Um, but for me, I'm taking Nerlens Noel over KJ McDaniels any day that ends in a Y. So, I the, I don't know why, but I would just really like uh, I kind of like don't like either of these guys. Like Nerlens, you know he 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 had his attitude issues, um, and you know he just sort of he was a young he was a young guy. He yeah he was sort of you know sort of going through the growing pains of being an adult. Um, but he 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 should have and he could have and he, you know, it's disappointing that he wasn't better. Or he'll never be better than, than than what he is, which is you know a a a, a very a very decent backup big, but I, I I you know I thought he could have been like a Tyson Chandler at at his peak, and um, you know he just never really panned out that way, and I, and I think a lot of it's because of you know, the attitude that he had, and, and he didn't take it seriously enough. From you know from from a young age, and then or not from a young age, but when he came into the league, and I think the, probably the torn ACL had something to do with it. I do credit him for trying to um, expand his game out a little bit and sort of adapt to the modern game. Um, and I'm 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 going to pick him over um, over KJ. And the only reason I'm picking him over KJ is because I think it's you have to be some kind of stupid and delusional to you know. Take a flyer on yourself on a one-year deal as a second-round pick, and then as soon as that deal expires, really never have another shot in the NBA. Like you must have a pretty big opinion of yourself and a pretty out, you know, out of this world opinion of yourself to do that. Because KJ McDaniel is just—I mean, he was an okay player on a on a horrible team, and as soon as he went elsewhere, it was like he wasn't even seen in the court. And so I don't know why he wouldn't just take that. You know, a a, a multi-year second-round deal um, with not, you know, less money guaranteed, and then you know, and I mean, I get it. You're trying to you know, bet on yourself, but I, I I I just kind of find it like almost a little bit arrogant that he thought he was above the contract they were offering him. Right. Especially with rookie contracts, most of those yeah. are, are signed with no hesitation and. 
now Noel is only 25 years old and he's found a home in Oklahoma for now. So his prime years may have not come yet. Whereas KJ McDaniels, I believe was playing basketball last for a fill a team in the Philippines, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, you could say it worked out for Noel way better than it did for McDaniels. And for our next two, it didn't work out particularly well for either of them. Uh, and this is probably the only clash of Titans we have in my final 16 players. It's Andrew Bynum versus Lavoy Allen, Chef Lavoy RD. And Andrew Bynum is a player that Philadelphia to this day despises. And Lavoy Allen seems to be forgotten by the city of Philadelphia. Uh, both stories a little unique. Andrew Bynum was involved in a large trade. I believe it was three or four teams, a couple of teams involved in that. But the Sixers Orlando, traded. Lakers, Denver, right? and Philly. Philadelphia. So four, it was, right? It was, yeah. So it was Dwight to um, LA. Yeah. Vooch. Um, and Mo. Vooch and Maurice. Mo Harkless. No, Mo Harkless. No, Mo, Mo Harkless, Orlando. Yeah. And then from, from uh, and then, you know, obviously Jay Rich and um, uh, Andrew Bynum to Philly and then Igadala to. Denver. Denver, right. So, I mean, uh, of those names you just named, Philadelphia most definitely got the worst part of that deal. And at the time, they were trading for a center with some high expectations. I believe he was scoring a little under 20 points per game and over 10 rebounds a game with the Lakers. And this was a pretty successful Lakers team. But Bynum's injury history was was something that Philadelphia really should have taken into consideration. And the Lakers were a little murky in this situation, which is why the Sixers filed for a grievance. They sought $3 million, but Andrew Bynum in Philadelphia was really one of the most hated players that this city has ever seen. And that may not necessarily be his fault, but he definitely didn't appease the situation. I believe he re-injured himself playing bowling uh, in the midst of his rehab or just prior to the season. And he, he was outspoken. So the city of Philadelphia really didn't take to Andrew Bynum, except they took to the hairstyle that he would bring. And he brought all these goofy hairstyles to the bench of Philadelphia and in interviews in the locker room and whatnot. But I just can't take a guy that did not play a single game for Philadelphia. And he was part of a deal in which Philadelphia got fleeced. So regardless of whoever Andrew Bynum was going against here, he was not going to win. In this case, it's Lavoy Allen. As you may know, I have some Temple ties, and Lavoy Allen went to Temple. He is a true Philadelphia feel-good story, born and raised. Uh, he, he went to a school in PA. He went to Temple, which, of course, is right in the thick of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I believe he still has the total rebounds mark for a Temple Owl of all time. Lavoy Allen, that is. And Lavoy, of course, was drafted high uh, for his talent, and he was – a typical center at the time. He, he played a little bit of the four, but he was a typical center at the time. He, he could rebound. He had a good shot selection. He passed well for his position, uh, but he, he didn't really offer much other than those few things. But he played on a successful Sixers team, and he went against some really good forwards and centers. He played Carlos Boozer, and he played him well a few times. He played Kevin Garnett well for a game, so Lavoy Allen had somewhat of a career in Philadelphia, whereas Andrew Bynum had none. And, and it was to the point where Scott O'Neill, the 76er CEO at the time, publicly apologized to fans on a show that Angelo Cataldi hosted for giving fans this false hope and, and investing in, in a guy like Andrew Bynum. And 
he apologized and saying, I'm sorry that you thought this was the guy, but he's not. Uh, so for that reason, Lavoy Allen is getting the notch over Andrew Bynum here. Yeah, but I mean, I and you know, I get it. He never played a game, but whether it was a success or a failure, wasn't it kind of necessary? Like you either had, I mean, they, they were going nowhere, and mm-hmm. you 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 had to make a move, whether 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 it ends up working with that player or not. It eventually got this team to a spot where where they have two players who are together will get them you know, upper 40s to 50 wins for, you know, guaranteed the next, the next, you know, foreseeable future. And they never had, they didn't have that before that trade. So whether it worked out or not, I I, th- I kind of think it was a success because it moved the needle, essentially moved the, moved the needle more than it ever, than, than, than they would have without it. That's an interesting perspective. I didn't even think about that, but you're, yeah. you're most definitely right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I've always sort of thought about. Um, I guess Lavoy Allen for me, because um, you know, like Bynum, like I, well, I, I get the hate for Bynum. I, I like that. I don't think him or like you know his 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 career is what you know is going to advance him in the, in this bracket. I, th- I think it's sort of like he just sort of exists, but I'm sort of numb to him. I mean, he didn't do anything. Ever really? Of course not. <laughs> um, Lavoy Allen's going to make it. He's going to move on for me solely off of the bank shot that he hit um, against the Celtics in Game Two at that second round series, um, mm-hmm. the season before they, uh, they 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 blew it up, um, and that that sort of put Game Two away and sort of gave Sixers fans hope that they could you know beat this, they could win that series, and even though they didn't win the series, um, they played the Celtics about as as well as they could have. And that seven gamer, and um, you know that 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 shot that he hit was probably the biggest shot of his NBA career. Yeah, and it, it was a short-lived career, but regardless, yeah. big shot. Now, last but certainly not least, and um, based on some of the names on this list, it's it's certainly not least. We have Jordan McRae versus Thomas Robinson. And Austin, you and I had a giggle about Thomas Robinson last episode and he advanced because I liked playing with him in 2K and I I kind of had hope for Robinson coming out of Kansas. He was successful there and and a highly touted prospect. But T-Rob only played 22 games with Philadelphia and and it was really a meaningless 22 games. His career in Philadelphia is almost forgotten as it was on every every other NBA team he played for. An overwhelming draft bust, to say the least, whereas Jordan McRae was a G League standout with Delaware for a little bit. And although he doesn't really have much of a body of work with Philadelphia professionally, he did in the G League. He was successful there. With Washington, he averaged 12.8 points per game on 37.7% three-point shooting this year. And, of course, that's a team similar to the Process Era teams. Not a lot of shooting there, not a lot of offensive production. He was second in usage on that team, I believe, just behind Bradley Beal. So he's being asked to produce in a role which is catered to him specifically. But nevertheless, he did well in Washington. He played a few games with Detroit. He set career highs this season in almost everything statistically. And Austin, I think you said he was the only process era sixer to win a ring. And he did that with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Jordan McRae here with no debate for me at least, is going to win over Thomas Robinson. Yeah, I, I always liked Thomas Robinson. It was a feel-good story. Um, you know, he he 
he raised his sister from a pretty young age. And, um, you know, I, I do feel for Thomas Robinson. I think he was, um, you know, a, a bust, of course. But I do think that I, I, uh, you know, I will weigh in the fact that he, that you know, McCray never played a game for the Sixers. Well, Robinson played 22. We had a couple of nice highlights, but he, um, you know, he, he, he's been a, an incredible man since he came into the league. I mean, he, he lost his grandmother, his grandfather, and his mother all within three weeks of one another. Um, so, and then he raised his little sister and now he has a family of his own. So, I mean that, you know, and that, that happened while he was in college, he was a 20, oh, a, wow. a, a 20 something year old having to raise his sister, um, trying to adjust to the NBA. And he, you know, he never got in trouble. He, he, you know, he, he accepted his fate in the NBA and, um, you know, I, I tip my cap to him. He, he's, he's a good example for, you know, everyone to follow and sort of a perspective for everyone to keep in mind. And um, for, the, for that reason, you know, again, McCray never played a game for the Sixers. So for that reason, I'm going to give it to Thomas Robinson. But again, it's your bracket. All right. So that does it for our rounds tonight. But that means next week we'll have Allen Iverson going against Drew Holiday. Although you made a pretty compelling case for Christian Wood. Then we'll have Matt Barnes going against Rashawn Holmes, which should be interesting. Jeremy Grant versus Nerlens Noel, two process era Sixers, both who hold a special place in my heart. A lot of sentiment there, so that should be an interesting one. And finally, Lavoy Allen versus Jordan McRae, uh, which is, of course, the least exciting of all of those matchups. But we should be able to peg a winner pretty soon. I'm going to foreshadow and predict that no one is beating Allen Iverson, but stranger things have happened, especially in tournaments. Uh, so we're going to see what happens. Yeah, Brock, which, which of those players do you think enjoy shotgunning beer the most? I think all of them, me alike, especially if I had a tool <laughs> that could help us out. And, and I was well, 21. That matters too. <laughs> well, if you like shotgunning beer, you want to increase your shotgun time at parties, Check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. Also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is filled with a K. 10% discount on all products. End of the code. Trust the Cobra 10. All caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Brock, as always, my friend, stay healthy. Continue pounding that pre-workout. Um, are you still working out during this during this whole no. quarantine? No, no, that's that's a developing developing story. I haven't been able to touch a weight in weeks. Are, are you th- you think your muscles dwindling? Oh, of course, yeah. I, 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 what's what's the terminology? Uh, you you got some doctors in your family. What's it called? Uh, I think it's uh, atrophy. Just, atrophy. Atrophy is it? Atrophy. Atrophy. The wearing yes. away of muscles over yes. time. Yeah, yes. I think I've got some onset atrophy right now. Oh boy. Well, you know what. That pre-workout always 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 good for that, I guess, and it's always good for keeping the uh, you know, electrolytes up. Um, I am truly, have, truly have no idea if it does that, but I, it sounds like it's something that it would do that. Um, and Brock, are you still playing two K? I'm still. I'm, I'm not playing. I'm I'm gr- I'm married to two K right now. That two K is taking all my hours. Oh, dude, I just I just won my championship with the Sixers. I went seventy-eight and four with oh. the Horford with the Horford Sixers. I swept the Clippers in the finals. I only lost one game. That was to the Bucks the second round. Um, and now I'm playing by my player. Let me tell you that 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 my player was the best my player story they've ever had. I think, 
and even then it was still a bad story <laughs> yeah well the, the the cool thing about what'd you play my gm with the sixers or, yes. or my league the cool thing is that that's exactly how the postseason would have gone so i'm glad 2k uh, right. is it has a little bit of legitimacy to the game because the sixers would have won in four in the finals regardless and and Brett it would have been ugly yes Brett Brown, of course uh, yeah. but but with, with the my player, I will say it was a great story. I didn't watch any of it. I I was holding a any time a cutscene came on, I I couldn't watch it. I don't know why. I just couldn't sit there and watch the cutscenes. But the graphics were phenomenal. Were you one of the types to? Uh, are you one of the types to like make the player like you, or do you just like make up some random player? I just make up a random player, and, and I spent money on VC this year. Was it was the first time I've ever done that. I got to say, one of the worst purchases I've ever made. I thought it was one of the best, but a terrible purchase that I completely regret. What's your player's name? Boogie Suave. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my former alias. When I was rapping on SoundCloud, it was Boogie Suave. <laughs> Big, smooth Boogie Suave. That's great. And, uh, and what position does he play? I am a slashing small forward, 6'6". Six, six. Okay. So I am Austin Krell. I'm a okay. six-foot gu- I'm a six-foot guard. I had a vertical leap at the combine of zero inches, tied for 21st of all prospects. Sounds about um, right. Yeah, no, the, Jew- the Jewish genes were suited me well. Yeah. And, you know, doesn't have a good body, doesn't have, a, you know, a ton of athleticism, very high IQ shooter. <laughs> and uh, let, let, let me just tell you, it's 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 addicting. I'm addicted already. It is, yeah. It, yeah. It's, I mean, you'll get on. You'll get on it at six at night. You'll look at your clock. It'll be eleven o'clock, and it's like you were sitting there playing the game for twenty minutes. Time just flies when you're playing it. Oh yeah. Well, he's Brock Landis. Landis Brock on Twitter. I'm Krell TPL. Austin Krell. Um, you can find us that on on the social media, the Twitter. We'll be taking this podcast to YouTube, I believe, starting this episode. Um, so you know, we'll get some more we we'll get some more listeners there as well. As always, thank you for listening to the feed. We'll be able to be back next week um, for the next round of Brock's bracket, and then once we're done with Brock's, we'll go to my half, and then you know, in, in a couple weeks' time, maybe we'll be able to go outdoors for more than twenty minutes. Maybe maybe things will start to have a little bit of a of an end in sight. And we'll have brought you some more entertainment with the mediocrity bracket. Uh, This is the Feed to Embiid. Take care, everybody. Stay safe and have a good week.